0: Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast made available thanks to support from listeners just like you.
1: Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio.
0: Good morning. Good morning. It is the 9th of January, twenty twenty-three. Whew! I don't know about you. I'm still getting used to that. It's twenty twenty-three, um, and it's and this is like our version of twenty-three um, and me. There you go. This is uh, mornings with Carmen. So thank you so much for joining me on this glorious new day. We say I'm going to regard it as a glorious new day because God's going to get His glory in this day, one way or the other. Um, I am certainly going to seek in my life to give God. All the glory uh, due his name and acknowledgement of his presence and power. I hope you intend to do the same with your day. Let's give God the glory um, due him today, and that will make this day uh, glorious. Our Growing Your Faith verse of the day, which if you haven't signed up for yet, you can do so at myfaithradio.com. It'll be in your inbox every morning. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love this world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers um, for physical pleasure a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. These are from the world. So let's pause and um, uh, affirm here what this verse is not talking about, because I think that it would be helpful. Um, This verse is not talking about the love of people or the love of creation or the righteous and good love of that which is good, beautiful, and true. It's not even talking about um, self-love in terms of the right kind of self-love. I mean, Jesus affirms that there is a call in the second commandment, um, second only to the first and greatest commandment, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength. The second is like it, and that we should love our neighbors as ourselves, uh, what? Well, that's self love. So, so clearly, when um when the apostle John is saying, "Don't love the world or the things that it offers you," and um, he's not talking about the love of people or the love of creation or the right and righteous love of self. There are ways of loving the world that are unrighteous because they displace the right love of God. They displace the first and greatest commandment. Um, by confusing the second with the first. And so that's really what this is getting at in this verse. Um, it's also a verse that gets at the the ways in which the world becomes this lustful thing that we desire. And so what is God saying when he says not to love the world? Um, when in fact, God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, Right so that the world would be redeemed through him. So clearly there is a love of the world that is righteous. Today's verse addresses the forms of self-love or the forms of the love of the world that fall short of the glory of God, loves that are not rooted and grounded in the love of God for for the world um, and its salvation. So what does the text say? Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anybody loves the world, love for the Father is set aside, Are supplanted Um, for the world. Well, the world is going to offer a lust of the flesh, a lust of the eyes, a pride of life. Those are not of the Father, those are of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But the one who does the will of God, well, that person abides forever. So there is also a distinction here in this passage about that which is forever and that which is passing away. So, Do not love the world or the things of the world that are passing away. Do love God and the things of God, which are never passing away. And if you want to know some incentives for those, well, um, the Apostle John lists those out as well. So I think my encouragement is this. Do not love the world and its ways that push out or supersede um, the, the love of God and his ways. We love to talk with Dave Buring about the character and the ways of God, and he's going to join us next, and we're going to have a wide-open conversation about your journey of discipleship. You are on a journey of discipleship. How do you figure out where you are on that journey of discipleship, and how in this year are you going to make progress on your journey of discipleship? All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. you been be working everything for the best for me. So I trust in who you are. You Dave Buring joins us now. He heads up an organization called Lion Share. You can find him and resources at Lionshare.org. Also check out the Lion Share Leadership Podcast. Dave, welcome back.
2: Hey, happy new year.
0: Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy new year. Dave. Uh, what is discipleship and what does it mean to be a disciple? This seems like a good first of the year uh, question to ask.
2: I think it's a great first of the year question to ask. So, you know, oftentimes when we follow Jesus, we kind of assume that, you know, we're walking as disciples when I think there's more intentionality to it. And really being a disciple of Jesus, it's more deliberate than we think. It's not just, you know, one day at some meeting or during something online and you give your life to Jesus. That is awesome. That's, That's the eternity game changer. But that impacts more than just eternity. It's the beginning of a journey of spiritual maturity that lets us know God better, that lets us be able to know his ways, which is how he does things so we know how to do things. It gets to know what he's really like so we actually trust him more. Um, and the other thing, Carmen, too, is it's it's a launch of being on mission with him. Like we we have been born with unique giftings and with a purpose and a calling around those giftings. And part of the discipleship walk is discovering that and fully engaging that.
0: So I might um, I might think that I'm a disciple of Jesus. I might have described myself that way, or someone else might have described me that way how how do I know? Like, how does a person know that they are genuinely a student of a lifelong disciple of a person following the pattern of a, pa- a person being conformed moment by moment by one deg- degree of glory um, to another, more into the likeness of Christ? Like, how do I know that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the thing that we often do in our Western society because of all the self-help things that are out there is we feel like, okay, if I need to, you know, learn how to take the engine out of my car and fix it, or I need to do this or that, you know, there's, we go to YouTube videos. Like I changed my fan on my ceiling by watching a YouTube video and I'm not very good at that kind of stuff, but Hey, it has stayed up there now for four years and it works and, and we can do, but so we assume that we can grow spiritually that way too. And so we end up, hey, I kind of like this preacher, this teacher. And, and it's kind of like going shopping online and we're getting little bits of pieces of uh, spiritual feeding. But discipleship is different than that. Discipleship usually contains us walking alongside somebody that is further along in the Lord than us. And there's, they're actually helping us grow and develop. So when you look at the life of Jesus, that's what he did with 12 during three years. And it was very intentional. We see the, the good fruit of that discipleship in something called the Book of Acts, where the church grew and expanded and people came to know the Lord and all these kinds of things. And, and I think one of the ways to answer that question you're asking, how do I know? I think the first thing to ask is, okay, I've given my life to Jesus. You may be attending church or a small group, but is there somebody who is further along in the Lord than you, that you've gone to and said, would you help me grow? Would you help me develop spiritually and begin to let them, you know, examine your life, encourage you, and maybe find like, what are the two or three things in 2023 that when you say Merry Christmas later this year, you know, you have grown in spiritually. I think that's a way to kind of measure where we are and how we can get somewhere.
0: So part of this conversation is, um, am I in a relationship with a disciple who is further along in their journey of discipleship? And then there's, so that's sort of the looking forward, who's drawing me forward, who is helping me see the things that um, in my life are still out of conformity with Christ, who's help uh, the person who's helping me see the good fruit and identify the rotten fruit, like, right, the, the fruit inspector in my life is a part of that. Mm-hmm. And then there is also this, am I a disciple in that I am actively helping to make other disciples? Like, there's the looking back um, at, for those who are newly on the journey or have not been on a discipleship journey as long as I have, um, who are now seeking to cover the terrain that I have just most recently um, yes. traversed. And so yeah. there is the, am I being made more into a disciple because I'm in a discipling relationship with someone further along on the journey? And am I making disciples? I think that um, for many of us, Dave, the discipleship journey is has been so much a me and Jesus thing yes. that we yes. have completely lost um, our sense of it being a communal activity—I um, mean, you know, among Jesus and His twelve—it's—it's um, it's not just a me and Jesus thing. It's—it's it's me and Jesus and the people who are further along, um, who are discipling me, and the people who are more newly disciples, who I am supposed to be discipling on their journey. Can we talk about those relationships and the discipleship journey in just a moment?
2: You bet. Would love to. Uh,
0: All right. We're talking with Dave Buring from LionShare. You can find resources about uh, which we're talking today at lionshare.org. I'm going to ask you just to spend a moment um, evaluating this question. Like, am I in an actual relationship of discipleship? Am I in a relationship with a person further along on their discipleship journey than I am, a person who is discipling me? And who am I discipling? Who is on the journey that's not as far along as I am that I am actively discipling in the things of the faith, in the character and the ways of God? More on this next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Jesus commanded us to uh, make disciples. He doesn't call us to be disciples. He calls us to make disciples. How's that going? What does maturity look like? Um, is it possible that I am immature in my life as a disciple? Um, how do I become more mature? How is discipleship linked to evangelism? How is it connected to other people? Those are the kinds of conversations I'm hoping to stimulate. As we talk with Dave Buring today, you can find resources for this conversation at lionshare.org. Dave, you describe discipleship as a journey. Talk with us about the discipleship journey.
2: Yeah, I think um, when I look at the life of Jesus and the Twelve, there was kind of the encounters you know, that he had with Peter and Andrew and James and John and then leaving their fishing nets. And there's an actual leaving of something to begin to lean into something. And that is that is more of a journey. It's not something where all of a sudden, like in our culture, our Christian culture in America, we like the end is getting saved. It's like, okay, hey, I gave my life to Jesus. I repented for my sins. He's forgiven me. I'm now going to heaven. Well, like, yeah, that's an awesome thing. The Bible tells us heaven rejoices over that. But we think that's the end game. And it's not. It's the beginning. And Jesus calls us into a life of loving him, following him, uh, being obedient to him. But to be able to walk in those things, we've got to get to know him. and We've got to open the Bible And not just see it as some book with, you know, some things in black and some things in red written in it. But it's got to be something that then we look at, how do I apply this? And when the Spirit of God comes into our life, as you know, Carmen, all of a sudden, things are illuminated to us. And when we just used to read the Bible, you didn't see it like you see it now. And then the process of learning something, like, for example, as a husband... The Bible tells me in Ephesians, I'm to lay my life down for my wife. And that doesn't mean the dramatic, I'll take a bullet for you. That means laying down things I want, laying aside my agenda to serve her. Well, okay, so the Bible teaches me that, but then it comes to applying what it is I've seen into my life. And I find that there's things I can set my heart to But as we talked about the context of community a few minutes ago, I need brothers, sisters around me that can say, way to go, Dave or Dave. Hey, hey, here's what that may look like. Have you considered X, Y, Z? And so, you know, that's the dynamic, you know, that's in play there. And I think many of us, Carmen, because of, of where we are as a nation in our spiritual journeys with Jesus, we get locked into get them saved and we stop and we got to hear today that is just the beginning there's a spiritual maturity that Jesus is calling us to
0: spiritual maturity um i think maturity is a um an important word we're not talking necessarily about the amassing of more information or even mm-hmm. knowledge you can mm-hmm. know everything the bible st- says and still be an i I'm an infant in terms of Christian maturity. Can you talk about the difference between um, a mature Christian and a person who knows every verse of the Bible?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's an important one because again, within our culture, the way we've been trained is more knowledge equals more spiritual maturity. And there's no doubt there's a piece of that that's important to know what the ways of God are, to know God's care, of, of course. But that's being aware of and informed that's not being transformed transformation comes according to Jesus in the sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says he who hears my words and does them let's put a parenthesis there and put the word obedience in there is a wise man who builds his house on the rock and we know that story when the storms come and the winds blow it'll stand and then same premise, he who hears my word, they heard it, same people heard it and doesn't do it, let's put in parentheses there, disobedience is a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And, and you know, Cheryl and I have a long history in Hawaii, and if we, if I was there and I said to my Hawaiian friends, hey... I got some property. I'm building a house. Where, Dave? Where? Right on the beach. It's right on the sand. They would look at me and, you know, the word for kind of being goofy in Hawaiian is you're Lolo. And they'd say, brah, you Lolo, you know, because they know my house will not stand. And the reality is Jesus defines for us what spiritual maturity looks like. And spiritual maturity looks like obeying Jesus, And so the question I think we can all wrestle with today is how much of what I know I'm actually applying through obeying Jesus. And by the way, this is not some rigid, chop-chop obedience. This is obedience out of love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. So in other words, it's kind of like I I see Jesus saying, if you love me with a shoulder shrug, kind of like it's a natural thing. If you love me, you'll obey me. And the focus is loving him so much that you can't live life without obeying him because you love him so much.
0: So I wrote down a couple of things in anticipation of our conversation. And one is that, um, and this is one of the reasons that we need to have these conversations about discipleship um, in, in communion with and in community with other Christians, because one mark of authentic discipleship um, is that I acknowledge I'm going to get it wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to need other Christians to help me see where Mm -hmm. I get it wrong I'm going to submit to correction. And in that, I'm going to be built up. I am going to be more mature on the other side of that. Um, maturity takes time. It's not linear. It looks different for each individual. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then I wrote this. Yeah, maturity is compelled by love, a love of God, a desire to know Him, to be with Him, to walk with Him, to please Him, to bring others to Him. Um, I think that when we talk about the journey of discipleship, First of all, it's a really good motif. Like, it's a good way to help people think about um, discipleship as something that starts at conversion. It doesn't end at conversion. Um, and that it, it it should lead all the way home to the Father's house, right? I mean, that is, yeah. and that when yeah. we arrive, you know, there should be this, oh, welcome home, good and faithful servant. And that's only going to happen if I have been, you know, intentionally pursuing Christ um, throughout yeah. my life. So. Um, invite people into, um, uh, the discipleship journey, which they can find at lionshare.org.
2: Yeah. If, if someone is is hearing this and they say, I don't know where to start, let me give you a couple things. Um, if you go to, as, as Carmen said, to lionshare.org and take a peek around a discipleship journey, it's a, it's a tool, a resource that is grounded in helping people getting to know God's character, what he's like, getting to know his ways, how he does things and asks us to do things, and helps you really partner with him in his mission. And it's something that you can look at. And I will tell you this, if you email us at info at lionshare.org, again, info at lionshare.org, in February, we're going to have a training people, And it's one night a week for an hour, and we actually take you through one chapter over four weeks. So you've experienced it yourself. And we've had a lot of people go through this, Carmen, who then can spin off and go launch a group. So if you're just saying, look, I need to grow, but I'd like to help a few others and kind of do a, I want to grow as a disciple, but also become a disciple maker at the same time. It's a great little training to go through. And by the time you get to March one, boom, you'll be ready to launch. Uh, a group that you can begin to pour into and grow yourself. So info at lionshare.org.
0: I am in a Discipleship Journey group right now, and so I can attest to the value of this experience. Um, I will include all of the links that Dave and I have discussed today in the show notes, which you can get at myfaithradio.com, or you can get them wherever you um, subscribe to the Mornings with Carmen podcast. But very simply, you can email info at lionshare.org. Ask for um, an invitation to the Discipleship Journey training in February. Dave, thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio.
2: God, you don't need me, but somehow.
0: Well, if you're like me, um, you kind of ran out of energy for the process that took place in the U.S. Congress over the past week, but they did finally elect a speaker of the House of Representatives. It is Kevin McCarthy. We're going to talk about ooh, that sausage-making process and what to expect now when Dr. Adam Carrington joins us next. We're also going to talk about some transitions, like who's, who's now in, who's out. Um, and in, in the case of Senator Ben Sass what's he doing next? What's he doing now? Um, and why Why does that matter? Why is that important? Um, what people do after they've done the thing for which um, their name has become well known to us. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Hey, welcome back, Adam, and happy New Year!
1: Happy New Year to you and everyone listening as well.
0: Well, my goodness, that was quite a process that took place in the House of Representatives last week.
1: <laughs> a, I won't say unprecedented. Uh, <laughs> some people may have uh, gone the, done their research in the 1850s. I think it went to spe- picking the speaker went to 133 ballots and took two months. <laughs> Um, thankfully God spared us that, but hey, did they uh,
0: end up, did they end up electing the first person who was nominated or did um, they end up with someone else at the end of that particular process in 18, oh, I know I'm off script, but like, yeah, see I, I
1: need to double check that actually part of that this I'm, I'm curiosity, yeah.
0: right? Like part of this yeah. curiosity is like, they actually ended up electing the guy that at the beginning they said they weren't going to elect.
1: Right, right, and and I and I do know uh, one of the problems then was you had an insurgent Republican Party in the 1850s that was replacing the Whig Party. Uh, I apologize, I will have to. No, uh, no it's okay. It's a curiosity, uh, yeah, right? D- 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 yeah, I'll have to double check that because um, uh, that was 1856, so I-, I can look that up. But uh, yes, this was the most since. Uh, before 1923 1923 mm. went to nine ballots after 1923 you had never had one go out beyond the first ballot to elect spe- the speaker they had gotten through and not that there hadn't been defections before or controversies or narrow elections but given how um uh, uh ununified the uh republican house caucus is and how narrow that's the bigger thing just how narrow oh you only had to have four house members switch their votes for it to 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 go the other way so uh what's interesting is they now have to pass a rules package because the constitution says that congress is in charge of its own rules basically with you know minor exceptions that, that that are given And uh, so now they have to pass a package uh, stating what how they're actually going to run Congress for the next two years. In fact, the the comic version of this is that Nancy Mace from the First District of South Carolina was walking around with her dog on the House floor. And someone asked, well, that's that's against the rules of the House. And she says, well, there are no rules right now. We haven't passed any. So uh, uh, hopefully this doesn't portend future chaos. Hopefully it doesn't portend uh, the inability of the chamber to operate. But I, I think this is really part of bigger problems. And on a serious note, the house is really supposed to be one of two chambers where the founders understood it to be a deliberative body, a body that Talks to each other, and through talking to each other, reasons with each other to make not just any laws, but better laws. Refining, you know, as as we know from proverbs, iron sharpening iron. And um, I think uh, uh, this episode just shows that we're we're not really sharpening each other. We're we're ignoring and talking past each other. And uh, I, I think it really is part of bigger, more structural problems with how the House is conducting itself that's making it a much less effective body than it was originally intended to be, whether Democrats or Republicans are in the majority.
0: All right. Jim in Simsbury, Connecticut, wants to know, does Adam know what Kevin McCarthy had to agree to or give up in order to get elected? I think he's looking there for a sense of the concessions that were made. Do we know?
1: Yeah, we know some of them. Um, but some of them, you know, I was reading some articles about this cause I, you know, I don't know anyone on the inside, but that we're saying that we're, we're not entirely sure of everything. We're going to kind of have to see were certain people while they couldn't be, um, uh, um, uh, uh, guaranteed certain committee assignments. Was that the case? Um, they probably, it looks like they probably were lowered the threshold, So that if someone wanted to challenge the current speaker and try to oust them, it used to be half the Republican caucus had to agree to that proposition. It might be now down to one person can call for that vote Um, that members of the Freedom Caucus that were the predominant group that was opposing his nomination might uh, have a near a majority on the um, on the standing rules committee. And that matters because that's the committee that really decides what bills get debated by the full House and therefore have any real chance of passage. So really what it means is you're going to have as far those are some I think of the details of, of what seems to have come out. We'll know for sure when the rules package itself is voted on this week, but it really does mean a much reduced speaker as far as power. Uh, that he has really had to draw a lot of lines around his own authority compared to the past several speakers. I mean, we're a long way from those who remember Newt Gingrich. Uh, mm-hmm. Newt Gingrich in the '90s was a very powerful speaker, one of the most powerful of the uh, mid 20th century on, and uh, we're we're a long way from that. And uh, you know, I would say just personally, I think. That wouldn't be a bad thing if we were strengthening, say, the committees, the committees that look at bills, make determinations about what should and shouldn't pass to the broader House. Uh, I think the, the, the they're, they're not as strong as they should be to get in some of the minutia. But what we've really done is weaken the Speaker to the empowerment of individual members. And the problem with that, I think, right now is that I think it could accentuate Members that want to not really legislate, but perform, um, make YouTube clips for their uh, constituents back home, but not really make serious legislation. So it's not that I think the speaker should have tons of power. It's that I think we're we're decentralizing it towards something that could make things even a little more chaotic. That's that's, I think, the worry going forward structurally.
0: I like that you have brought us this morning um, a prayer for Congress. Do you want to read the 1789 U.S. Book of Common Prayer, Prayer for Congress?
1: Yes, and so this is a prayer, and what's interesting about this prayer is that it goes all the way back—it was passed as the Prayer Book of the Protestant Episcopal Church, and it was approved— in the same year that the first Congress actually uh, was in session. So it it lives, uh, you know, it had a life at the same time. And so they were from the very beginning saying, we need to be praying for Congress and knowing, having one. So it it says, uh, and this is says to be used during their session. So while they're in session, most gracious God, we humbly beseech thee, as for the peoples of this, these United States in general, so especially for their Senate and House and Representatives in Congress assembled, that thou wouldst be pleased to direct and prosper all their consultations to the advancement of thy glory, the good of thy church, the safety, honor, and welfare of thy people, that all things may be so ordered and settled by their endeavors upon the best and surest foundations, that peace and happiness truth and justice, religion and piety, may be established among us for all generations, these and all other necessaries for them, for us, and thy whole church, we humbly beg in the name and mediation of Jesus Christ, our most blessed Lord and Savior. Amen. Um, And I think that really does lay out some wonderful principles for how to pray for Congress, what we want congress to do as far as i think god's intentions for a lawmaking body and uh something that even now that we've gotten past the choosing of the speakership i think praying for this body in particular not just our governing authority authorities in general might be necessary if we really are going to seek the good of of the political community in which god has placed us
0: Excellent reminder that we are to pray for all things in all circumstances to the glory of God, trusting Him. Um, it's just, uh, I really appreciate um, your reminder, uh, not only calling us to be praying for Congress, but reminding us that people of faith in this country have been in the regular practice of praying for Congress um, since uh, since Congress was instituted Um you know, now many, many years ago, let's talk about Ben Sass. He is uh, no longer uh, a member of the u s. Senate, although one of my favorites of all times. Um, let's just talk about his transition and maybe some observations you have related to that.
1: right. Uh, well, I'd say first, the transition is it is interesting that he is going to be President of the University of Florida. So he has a history and background in higher education from before and that is a significant institution as far as just its size but also being one of the flagship schools of the state of Florida with its importance as a state in the union so the hope i think is that he can if he has enough power vis-a-vis the faculty vis-a-vis the administration the rest of the administration to maybe make a a institution that has a major uh, a pull and major effect different than the direction that it's been going in the past. So I think that more institutions need to be revived and renewed to be better at education. Hopefully he can do that. And I think that's his intention. Uh, At the same time, we are losing someone who seemed at least serious about talking about ideas and policy in the Senate. And that, I think, is a significant loss for it being, as I was saying earlier, a deliberative body. Uh, the Senate used to be called the greatest deliberative body in the world, and it's hard to really call it that right now. And I think that his vision, and he outlined this both in an interview uh, recently, I think with The Dispatch, but also with a Wall Street Journal article that he wrote, is the need for a kind of hopeful conservatism one that really believes that we can face the challenges that are coming to us, that the challenges we face are winnable, and they're winnable on timeless principles a time applied to timely circumstances. And I think that um, uh, uh, you know he he articulated an interesting distinction that you have sort of more dour conservatives that worry that the sky is falling, and more hopeful conservatives that articulate hope. And I think. There's can be a kind of I'll be a little more positive than him. I think there can be a synergy between those two where the hopeful conservatives lift up the more dour. But the more dour recognize that there are people hurting that maybe the more hopeful ones don't. Um, but that there is a need for this more hopeful looking to the future and knowing what the future can entail. And maybe his his work in college education will help with that as he's training the, the the bright young men and women of florida for for a future of hopefully public service to their country
0: we're going to continue our conversation here with dr adam carrington in just a moment um, good question uh, i even though i know it was asked sarcastically um good question on the text line give me the coordinates coordinates and location of where i will find god Um, I, I mean, you know, you can ask me anything on the text line, but when you ask me a sarcastic question, you're going to get a serious answer in response. Um, the Lord, our God would very much like to be found about 18 inches South of where that sarcastic thought was produced in your mind. He can also be found in the highest heavens and by the presence of his active Holy spirit in and through every believer in the world today. If you look, if you seek him, he will be found. Uh, if you seek him with uh, with an ardently honest heart, so let's be honest in our uh, in our searching today and in our probing questions. And hey, if you text me, you're going to get an answer eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Maybe you're thinking in this new year you'd like to change the world. Well, you can start by changing the world for one child. We're partnering with. One Child Again, and you can sponsor a child now at MyFaithRadio.com. What happens when you sponsor a child through one child? Well, you're going to be linked to a boy or a girl who lives in a country other than your own, uh, and you're going to help supply for their tangible needs. Yes, they're going to receive the gospel of Jesus, but they're also going to receive educational assistance, supplemental food, clothing, healthcare services, and opportunities for love, friendship, and encouragement the cost is just $39 a month, and you can sponsor a child right now at MyFaithRadio.com. So if you want to change the world this year, why don't you start by changing the world for one child? Sponsor a child today at MyFaithRadio.com. He put that
1: hunger in your heart.
0: He put that fire in your soul. His love is the reason. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Adam, um, let's talk a little bit about the ongoing battle for life here in the United States and in state courts across the country. Um, Talk about what's happening in South Carolina and Idaho.
1: So uh, those who those in the pro-life movement who thought that maybe the overturning of Roe v. Wade had ended court battles about abortion were wrong and and i think a lot of them saw that that may be the case even at the time last summer what has happened is that pro-choice forces have moved to suing in state courts and suing not based on the u.s constitution but arguing for a right to abortion in state constitutions uh since every state has their own constitution and has, in a couple places, been winning what you could call state level rows, where the state court declares a right to abortion very similar to what Roe v. Wade itself said, but based in the state's constitution, not the u s constitution and in the 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 good news is that those arguments were turned away by a three to two vote in the state of Idaho, and Idaho upheld a six week their court upheld a six week abortion ban that had been passed in that state that was actually passed before Roe v. Wade was overturned, but made as though it was it made so that it would go into effect if Roe was. Uh, So so that was the good news. The, the, The bad news is that in South Carolina, by a similar three to two vote, that state, our state's majority argued basically the same thing as Roe saying that there was a right to privacy in the state's constitution, which, by the way, there actually is in that state's constitution a written-out right to privacy, but that that right to privacy supported a right to abortion that basically reinstates the state of play in South Carolina that used to exist for the country as a whole. So uh, I think what it really shows is while there's still, while uh, in some ways a lot of the battle has shifted to The legislative branch. And while there are renewed needs for supporting crisis pregnancy centers and and helping on the cultural and and social front, uh, there still are battles at the at the state court level where the legal argument still needs to be made that we can protect life from conception. And so uh, uh, those are continuing. And and the news from last week shows, one, they can be won, but there is still a battle that isn't a foregone conclusion on that front at the state court level.
0: Okay, so for the non-attorney like me, so my state can make a more restrictive law, uh, what some people perceive to be a more restrictive law than than the federal government. I think that's one of my questions, because when just at the end of last week, we you know were notified that the FDA has now said that um, abortion-producing drugs can be sold over-the-counter at pharmacies um, nationwide and that Walgreens and CVS are going to be doing that. I'm assuming there are Walgreens and CVS in South Carolina and Idaho. Um, so do you see... Can you can you suss out my question from all of that? Like if the FDA has said these national chains can sell these drugs, can these states say, but you can't sell those drugs in our state?
1: I would I would think so. Where the debate's going to go on is about what's called the Commerce Clause. Mm. And the Commerce Clause says that intrastate commerce, commerce within a state is left to those states to regulate. And interstate commerce commerce that crosses state lines or where you know the shipping of goods and other things cross the state lines is up to congress um and so the question is going to be when you're selling when a national chain is selling at a local location where does that fall and to what degree can the state regulate for its own health and safety goods that are being shipped from out of state and and that's a that's that I I don't mean to punt and say it's complicated. I would say in short, I think that states should be able to and that there's a history that they should be able to. Um, The court has been very lenient on the side of the national government in regulating these things. So I'm not going to predict what the what a Supreme Court opinion would say. But I think that even though those are shipped across state lines, once they're being sold in that state, that the laws of that state for its health and safety and certainly these are health and safety regulations should be left to that state to determine what kind of goods and services can can be dispensed there so we'll we'll have to see but uh that that would be my short short answer on that
0: yeah i it's getting more complicated not less complicated i think is uh is absolutely fair to say and it's not over um yeah, and I, so I, something we need to all remain vigilant on and paying attention to
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one thing to think about is the is free speech. We we have uh, free speech cases at the court every year. We have battles in the public about free speech every year. And over the decades, we're still debating what are some of the exceptions, contours of it. We're just now entering where we can have a really free debate about abortion and the consensus we come to is going to take time and the law as it's going to be applied to this new situation is going to take time and we just need to be vigilant, principled, but also shrewd in how we do so.
0: So many things I'd love to talk with you about, but we are, um, we are out of time. I, uh, I totally wanted to have a conversation with you about um, innocent until proven guilty, but we might have to um, wait and have that conversation the next time.
1: That would be a great uh, mm-hmm. a great thing to do. I think that's a pretty bedrock principle and why it is. I think a lot of people that are often frustrated with how it sometimes works out in the legal system, that would be a very good thing to to reiterate the importance of.
0: All right, let's tee that up for our next conversation. That's Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, let's, uh, let's spend a minute here just reminding um, ourselves and one another that God is love. God is love. Yes, God is loving, but God is loving because God is love. God commands us to love because God is love. God uh, produces in us love as a, as a fruit of the presence of the Spirit because God is love. So where in Scripture might we turn to find a passage about God Um, who is love? Well, we could turn to 1 John chapter 4. So let me read um, just a few verses. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, and anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that We have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Other people become aware of it in that way. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because He has given us of his own spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he lives in God. Let me just encourage you today. um, Recognize that God doesn't love us because we love him. God loves us because God is love. We also ought to then love one another. If you are a person of God, then you are a person of love. Let's be demonstrating that today in a world that desperately needs to know the love of God. we got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.